On this week's episode of Cultivating Her Space. What I would love to see is that everybody who reads a copy of The Mayor of Maxwell Street can go out into the world and find someone else who they can share their opinions and revelations with. Because that's how stories live. That's how they become immortal, is through the sharing of them. Today's episode is sure to provide you with motivation, inspiration, or a fresh perspective. If you have any aha moments or appreciate anything from this episode, please leave us a review to let us know we're on the right track. Also, we release episodes every Friday, so be sure to subscribe on iTunes and visit cultivatingherspace.com to access our exclusive after show and other bonus content from the Patreon tab. Welcome to Cultivating Her Space, a podcast dedicated to uplifting women like you. We're We're your hosts, Dr. Dominique Broussard, a college professor and psychologist, and Terry Lomax, a techie and motivational speaker. In a world where Black women are often misrepresented and misunderstood, please join us as we initiate authentic conversations on everything from fibroids to fake friends and create a safe space where Black women can just be. Lady, we have a very special guest today that we believe is going to be super inspiring And we're so excited for this conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and read her bio and then we'll jump into our quote of the day and get to this juicy conversation. Avery Cunningham is a resident of Memphis, Tennessee and a 2016 graduate of DePaul University's Master of Arts Writing and Publishing program. She has over a decade of editorial experience with various literary magazines, small presses and bestselling authors. Avery grew up surrounded by exceptional African-Americans who strive to uplift their communities while also maintaining a tenuous hold on prosperity in a starkly segregated environment. The sensation of being at once within and without is something she has grappled with since her childhood and explores thoroughly in her work of historical fiction. When not writing, Avery is adventuring with her Bernese mountain dog, Grizzly, and wading waist-deep in research for her next novel. She aspires to tell the stories of complex characters fighting for their right to exist at the fringes of history. The Mayor of Maxwell Street is her debut novel, which you can go get a copy of. So be sure to take a look at the show notes and click on that link. And without further ado, Avery, welcome to Cultivating Her Space. Hi, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to be here. This is a this is a wonderful honor, and I can't wait to talk with you all about about the book. Yay, we're so excited to have you. Yes, we are definitely looking forward to this conversation. And so I will start us with the quote of the day. And Avery, you know, we have been on your social media as you have been on a press tour getting ready for the launch of your book. And so this quote will sound very familiar to you. Okay. Oh, dear. These are your words. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our quote of the day. A part of me is still a little girl staring up at her mother's collection of books, dreaming of the day when my story could sit on that shelf. I'm going to read that one more time for the people in the back so they really grasp what we are going to be talking about today. A part of me is still a little girl staring up at her mother's, mother's collection of books, dreaming of the day when my story could sit on that shelf. 
Avery. How does it feel to have your story sitting in your mother's collection of books? Well, it's, it's, and thank you so much for choosing that quote. It, it's quite representative of my entire history, my entire journey, my entire legacy. I owe so much of who I am today to my mother. Her name's Cheryl Pesci. Some of your listeners may actually be familiar with her if you're in the Memphis area. She's a pretty prominent entrepreneur and influencer here in Memphis and owner of the Cheryl Pesci Lifestyle Store. And without her, I doubt that this moment, this place and this time would have been possible without her, you know, constant and loving support. She knew I was meant to be a writer from the start and she never faltered in encouraging that, that impulse in me. And along with that story of, of her, of her bookshelf that I used to stare at for hours when, when I was a child, we also tell the story of when I was maybe three or four, I would stand on a stool in our kitchen and just orate. I would just, well, like, well, actually what my teachers would call preaching. <laughs> I would tell these long and fantastical tales to an audience only I could see. And one day my mom, she stopped and she listened and she had a pretty prophetic realization. She heard what I had to say and felt that, that there was some meaning in it and some higher purpose in it. And she picked up a piece of paper and wrote it all down, preserving that moment. And that copy of my first ever story still exists to this day. And that's just one example of how she nurtured this side of me. The opportunities that led me to this moment are, are really due to the fact that she never stopped believing in me. That is so beautiful, Avery. Wow. It just makes me think about the importance of investing in our children and being so in tune with them, recognizing their gifts and being able to cultivate them at a young age. So kudos to your mom. Shout out to mom. Okay. That is an icon and a hero. She she is everything that I could ever hope to be ever in life and, and a huge inspiration. That is so beautiful. And Avery, speaking of, you know, your mother and your upbringing, Tell us about your origin story. Like, how did you become the Avery Cunningham that sits here before us today? Yeah, so I was born and raised in Jackson, Tennessee. For those who aren't familiar, it's a relatively small town outside, about an hour outside of Memphis, four hours from Nashville. And I was raised in a pretty predominant African-American community. You know, my father's a cardiologist. We're very connected to, you know, the CME Church and Lane College and I grew up, as, as I said in my bio, really surrounded by African-Americans who were exceptional and truly striving to make a place for, for all of us in, you know, this incredibly oppressive and, and segregated part of the country, even to this day. And my parents are both great supporters of the arts and especially my mother. You know, she was an English major, an English teacher for a time. So I've grown up always surrounded by the arts and artistic media and artistic mediums. And always encouraged to, to enjoy the arts and pursue them. I was a theater kid for most of my life and so have a lot of passions around the theater as well. And growing up in, you know, such a small community like Jackson, you, you really get a chance to connect with people, to learn their backstories, their histories. You know, after a while, you see how everyone's connected, how everyone's, you know, related, how everyone's gone through, you know, some similar trials, no matter you know, where exactly we, we lived or we grew up or who exactly our families were. And I think that also had a lot to do with the type of writer I became, how I love characters. I love people's histories. I love to see characters really lean on their legacies, lean on their past, not only for them individually, but going back to, you know, their ancestors even to understand the true implications of who they are and the decisions that they've made and how that will be reflected, you know, through the millennia. 
And growing up in a small town where everyone is so interconnected and well, where one's history is so important, I think that really did nurture that side of me and, and made me the type of writer that enjoys not only telling those types of stories, but consuming those types of stories as well. And then from there, I grew up in Jackson and I was there for most of my life. And then as my bio states, I attended DePaul University for undergrad and grad school in Chicago. Was there about five to six years. And I like to say that Jackson is the city that raised me, but Chicago is the city that made me. It, it gave me my first real professional opportunities. I wasn't really able to stand on my own outside of, you know, my parents and their influence in a brand new city with brand new community. And truly, if not for my professors and instructors at DePaul, I probably would not have chosen to really pursue writing professionally. For the longest time in college, I thought I wanted to be a professor or an editor, you know, something practical. Even though I loved writing, I just couldn't couldn't see see the the realism in it. But my professors, they they really encouraged me. They said I had a, a skill, and if I nurtured my talent and my craft, that that I could be a professional writer someday. So I truly owe that this moment to them as well for for seeing that talent in me and and allowing me to really embrace it and to even dwell in in places of of not being a pragmatist for where I could really see myself as a writer and know that if I work towards that craft and work towards that goal, it would be a, a real possibility for me. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, it just, it brings to light the importance of community and the importance of having a village and the importance of when people, the impact of when people pour into you. And so, first, let me say congrats on your debut novel. Oh, thank that you. is thank a you. huge deal. Thank you. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's exciting. I'm incredibly grateful and overwhelmed and terrified. And then back to grateful. I, I, I know how rare this moment is. And so I, I do, I know and acknowledge that to, for me to be here at all is a huge blessing. And it's just been the most incredible experience. Hey lady, it's Terry here. Dom and I want to take a moment to thank you for choosing to listen to our podcast. We love you for real. And we want to give you a chance to learn more about what's important to us. So tell us what you think about this. Imagine a world where you have a chance to get featured on the Cultivating Her Space podcast and share your business, brand, or perspective with millions around the globe. Imagine joining our monthly virtual video check-ins where you can connect with like-minded Black women like you and share your ideas and episode suggestions with Terry and I. Now I want you to imagine a world where you're in the exclusive Cultivating Her Space Sanctuary Slack channel and throughout your day and week, you are conversing with us about what's happening in your life and sharing funny gifts and your personal wins. How does that sound? Hopefully this is up your alley, lady, because we are taking things to the next level this year and we're doubling down on investing in our community. That means you. Yay! We want to meet you, connect with you, and create communities of genuine women who love on Black women and push our culture and movement forward. We launched this podcast in 2019, and to date, we have not missed a week. We've been great stewards of our platform, all while working full-time and navigating our own ups and downs. 
We release fresh new content every single Friday, like clockwork, and we have hundreds of valuable episodes and workshops that can really help you uplevel your life. So if you love our mission or you've gotten value from us, we invite you to give back and help us push this community effort forward. Visit herspacepodcast.com and click Patreon. You can learn more about our goals and exclusive offerings on Patreon. And we highly, highly encourage you to join the Sister Frontier so that you can get some one-on-one time with us. We also have an option for you to donate on a one-time basis if that meets your needs. Again, herspacepodcast.com and you can click that link that says Patreon. All right, lady. We'll hop right back into the conversation. It is such a huge blessing. And I know that we have so many listeners who may be aspiring writers themselves. And so what advice would you have for them in terms of keeping on the path, getting to that point of having a debut novel? Right, exactly. Well, when it comes to the kind of the experience of becoming a debut author, nothing can really prepare you, I feel like. You can read articles, you can talk to writers, watch panels, but in the end, everyone's experience is very unique. I, I am truly grateful for the team that I have of my publishers at Hyperion Avenue. Their willingness to collaborate and champion this novel at every opportunity has really made a world of difference in writers' programs and writer spaces. As an aspiring author, you always hear about how you know your publishers are going to be difficult and uncompromising and you have to look out for ulterior motives and all of these things that you kind of go into the process prepared for. But my publishers have been nothing but wholly transparent and excited and motivated. And I I do feel like if I didn't have that particular team behind me, that this would be an entirely different process. I also, of course, want to shout out my 2024 debut group. Many authors with debuts launching this year. We're all part of a really large chat group where we support each other and celebrate each other, vent to each other. And after going through this experience with them, I really can't imagine going through this experience alone. And as far as advice for for writers who wish to become traditionally published, the old saying, just keep writing, really does hold true. Before my debut sold, I was in a really serious valley where I considered giving up on writing You know, I was thinking I really need to focus on, you know, the nine to five, a stable career, you know, finally, you know, grow up and kind of step into and step into my life. However, I I gave myself a deadline. I said that if I wasn't published by 30, then I would commit myself to, to something else. So I did continue over those few years. I worked at my craft. I wrote every day. I took on every opportunity to write. I stayed determined and consistent. And now my debut is launching a week before my 31st birthday. So right on schedule. (laughs) Yes. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And it's so that that is truly the the one constant, I think, for all published authors and all writers who do eventually achieve publication is just to continue writing. Even when it's frustrating, even when you're seeing that it we're feeling that it's not going anywhere, when you see other people kind of reaching certain milestones and you feel like you haven't accomplished those goals yet, just to continue working on your craft, to continue getting words on a page, because every idea you have is a potential, you know, best-selling novel. But the world can't be exposed to that unless you get those words down on paper. And even even now, it's it's one thing that published authors always say to debuts is to keep writing. Great, you have one book down, give us two more. Every single year, working on improving your career and adding to your 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 list of books, because that's just the most important part of this industry. You have a voice, you have something to say, you have a talent, 
But if you're not actively the one putting the words down on page, then the world can't, can't experience that. So that's my biggest piece of advice to writers. I just want to say, look at God, Avery, because right before your 31st birthday, right, your book is debuting. And I kind of want to take a little detour. Okay, Avery, yeah. so we, you gave some great advice about aspiring or for aspiring authors. And it was you were talking about your parents. I couldn't help but think about my own experience, not having parents who were so influential or established or supportive. And I think about some of the listeners who might also be writers who, or just have any goals in general, but they don't have that support. And so I just want to dig into like, one, that's so amazing. I'm so happy for you. Like, that's so awesome that you had that because it's so critical, Thank right? You. It's exactly. such a game changer. I want to know how, how else did your parents nurture your gifts when you were younger? Because hopefully that can give other folks ideas on how they can rear their own children when they see that they have, you know, creative gifts or they see different talents. So what else do they do to young or for young Avery to kind of give you that confidence and, and the determination to reach these goals? Yes, yeah, certainly. I think exposure was a huge part of it. Simply it seemed that there might be something available that I would be interested in or, or that I could grow from and just making it available to me. Going back to, of course, my mother, who who was my champion and, and my rock and, and my everything. And another another story, when, when I was really young, maybe 10 years old, she was watching a marathon of Hamlet film adaptations on Turner Classic Movies, the old cable channel. And I was only 10 years old, but, you know, I love my mom and I wanted to hang out with her. So she told me, she said, well, Avery, you really like writing and, and this could be a good learning experience for you. So she sat down with little 10-year-old me and we watched maybe five film adaptations of Hamlet, which, of course, I didn't get at all. That went completely over my head. But, but my mom was so encouraging and, and she's so patient with me and talked me through the plot and the, and the language and the characters. And that moment I keep thinking back on is a critical moment for me, kind of a cornerstone where I realized, wow, this is such an incredible piece of art and, and literature and, and writing. And maybe one day I could tell a story like this. I could create characters as impactful as this. And that was just off of one afternoon of, of exposure that, that set, you know, a course for my entire life. And in terms of, I guess, advice, and I, of course, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak to, to the, well, my, my Bernie's mountain dog would debate that he is, in fact, my child. But, <laughs> but, but based on, you know, the experience I've had with, with my parents and my mom, especially, just being aware of the interests and the passions that your child has. And even if you do not fully support them, if you see that they're passionate, if you see that they're talented, Simply giving them exposure. One moment, one afternoon, one day, one meeting, one interaction can give them the inspiration and the motivation that they need to chart their own course. And, and, you know, my parents were always excited to take me to, you know, theater productions. They um, were always excited if there was a local author in town doing a book signing. You know, Avery, you like to write? Let's go meet and talk to this person. Books that I was really interested in or stories that I might have seen in a movie and, and they're trying to find, you know, similarities in, in text or in prose that they could give to me. Really simple things in the long run, I think, but these were all hugely critical moments that, that were foundational for me. And I think when people are willing and comfortable to step out of their own comfort zone and say, you know, I may not be an expert in this, but I, I want to find an expert to assist you, to guide you, to mentor you. I think that does make a world of difference. Those tiny opportunities are, are really necessary for young people, I think. 
Amazing. Exposure sounds like that's the name of the game. Being aware of their interests and passions and exposure. Thank you for that, Avery. That was so helpful. No, of course, of course, of course. And and I worked with young people in a nonprofit organization here in Memphis called Memphis Challenge, where we work with high achieving students of color in a kind of high school age group. And that that's still very, very true. You know, just for, for young people, especially just acknowledging that you have a passion and saying, well, here's a book or a story or a person that could change the game for them. And all you've done is just just open a door. Well, Avery. We appreciate you and this conversation is just getting started. So we're not going anywhere yet, but we do want to shift up the energy a little bit. Okay. So get ready, Avery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we recognize and we appreciate and celebrate the multifaceted woman. And we hear, we believe that it's okay to be bougie, classy, and ratchet. We believe that you can still be elegant and dance to strip club music. So Avery, we want to invite you to the OU Blatchet segment. Do you take on the challenge? I do. I'm so excited. Oh, good. And I was yeah. say, I thought you were going to say nervous. I'm like, yes, no. she's excited. I mean, oh, like, yeah. maybe nerves turning into excitement. I don't know. We're good. <laughs> we're good. I'm in it. I'm in it. Perfect. Yes. Okay. We got her, Dom. So now that you've agreed, Avery, we're going to tell you what to expect. So we're going to ask you four questions. We have four sentence completions. And we're going to close out by sharing with you a photo from your social media that we have pulled up. We're gonna share on the big screen. And what we want you to do, I'm laughing because of Avery's facial expressions, y'all. So you have to go to our website to watch the interview on Patreon. So many things flashed before my eyes. You're like, oh my goodness. What pictures did they find? Like, which pictures, which social media account am I about to be exposed right? on this internet on this no, day? No, <laughs> we will not be doing it. We will not be exposing you, but these are cute pictures, I will say, Avery. They're very cute. I think you're going to have some good memories. So what we'll do is we'll pull up one of these photos after you choose a number from one and three, and then give us some context about the photo that we wouldn't know by looking at it. All right? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, let's dig on it. And I actually think I misspoke. We're going to do three questions and three sentence completions. Okay, so here we go. What is the best piece of wisdom or advice you've ever received? It's an easy one. We'll easy, easy it in there. Yeah, you would think it is easy, but now I. But I've received so much, so many good, so many good lessons, and I suppose this is, this is one that, I think another thing that came from my mother, but I think she pulled it from someone else. We're both big fans of The Godfather, and something that we we always talk about in our family is a quote from The Godfather: "Is never let anyone outside the family know what you're thinking." And I think since for so long it was just me and my mom, we really kind of embodied that piece of advice to to have each other's backs and, you know, it's okay to disagree, but to not show any kind of division to, to those people who are on the outside of us who might use that to, to hurt us. And so it's very specific, very niche, but but never let anyone outside the family know what you think. And that's the first thing that comes to mind. I know there's there are a lot of other wonderful pieces of advice, but but that's what's on my heart right now. I like that. I I like that. Now, this next question is not necessarily, depending on how you answer, not as classy or insightful. Okay. All right. Avery, I have four words for you. Twerk or two-step? Two-step. 
two-step. And does, the, Memphis, does Memphis, is Memphis or the Tennessee area known for having a good two-step? It is. It is. Okay. This is this is definitely a two-step capital, but it's also a twerking capital. It, Memphis is is such a such hip-hop nation, you know, yeah. R&B, gospel, rock and roll, country, blues. So many musical genres came out of this area that the city is really next to everything. But I, I think it's a bit of a two-step nation, especially for an old soul like me who has really rough knees and cannot try to twerk. Not anymore. <laughs> we understand, girl. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> ain't, ain't nothing wrong with my two-step. All okay. right. All right, Avery, we have one more question for you before we move into the sentence completion. So this question okay. is, what is the sexiest item you own? I have a guess, but I'm going to... You have the microphone, so we'd love to hear it. Oh, my goodness. I wish my boyfriend was here. He could answer that question, but... The sexiest item... Okay, okay. So I just... I got this dress for the launch, and it is emerald green velvet kind of an off the shoulder and it's really slinky and really form-fitting and it makes me feel amazing and gorgeous and beautiful. So I'm going to say that today is the sexiest thing I own and I can't wait to wear it. Go ahead. I'm envisioning it and it sounds, I mean, it sounds amazing from what I can envision as well. It's such a great dress. Oh my God. I can't. (laughs) Okay. Okay. We see you in little green velvets. Yes. Okay. I have, I have to match the cover. I have to match the yes. cover. There you go. Yes. I, well, as soon as you post that picture, we're going to be liking it, okay? You're getting all the likes. Yes. going to be waiting. Okay. And so now we're going to do our sentence completion. One question or topic I wish people asked me about more often is... I'm just I'm going to be honest. Avatar The Last Airbender. That that was my TV show as a kid. And I know way too much about it. And I wish people would talk to me more so I can get it out of my head and into the world. I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to be honest here. I'm going to be honest. We appreciate, we appreciate that honesty. It. Yes. So tell us, Avery, what's something you would want to tell people about Avatar that you don't get to share often? Whether it's like a realization. Oh, uh, I don't know. Share. Oh, yes. Okay, <laughs> she ready. She ready. She ready. <laughs> Easter um, eggs, whatever it might be. Exactly. Truly, I, I think that that show is a great recommendation for aspiring writers. If you want to perfect your characters, if you want to perfect your plot, your world building, even though it's so-called a, a show for kids, it's incredibly mature and it's a perfect representation of how to write a tight, concise, but still broad and thematically profound story. And I think anyone who wants to be a writer deserves at least to watch it one time through and it'll really help perfect your craft. Also, Dante Bosco voices one of the characters and I swear that man has an age. He looks the exact same as he did 20 years ago. And I'm okay with it. I'm fine with it personally. You have to look that up. Look him up. Yes. Yes, me too. Our final sentence completion. What I love most about myself is. Mm. Oh, wow. You put you put an introvert on the spot. <laughs> I love I love my. My willingness to go on adventures. 
I, I love to to travel to new places, even if it's just a, a hike in a new location here in Memphis or outside of Memphis. I love to be swept away on a grand adventure. And I think that's one of the really great parts of, about my character and one of the, the things that gives me the most enjoyment in life. Good answer. We love it, Avery. <laughs> okay. So we have some photos pulled up of you. And okay. what we want to do, because we can only share one, we would like for you to choose a number out of one and three. And once you choose a number, we will reveal that particular photo on the big screen for you. Okay. All right. I'm going to go right in the middle and say two. Awesome. Good choice. I can't wait to hear the context behind this photo. So here we go, Avery. I'm going to go ahead and put the photo on the screen. And feel free to describe the photo first, Avery, because some folks are only going to be tuning into the audio. So feel free to describe it and then give us the context. I see your face and I love this. Yes. Oh, this is good. This is good. Okay. There's a nice story behind this. So the, the photo that's on the screen is of me. I am sitting at a table with a brick background, I'm holding a coffee mug and sitting in front of a typewriter looking out the window. And this photo was taken maybe around 2016. And the context is I was chosen by DePaul University as part of their campaign after they raised some ridiculous amount of money, I think just over a million dollars in fundraising. And they had a whole campaign to kind of honor that, that fundraising initiative. And I was one of a handful of students who was chosen to be featured in all of the materials and the um, ceremony materials to talk about, you know, all of the good that this fundraising has done for students. And the, this all came about because one of the um, administrators for this event was taking a master's class with me and he really liked the way I presented myself and how, how I spoke about, you know, DePaul and how I got to the school and he felt like I'd be a good representative. And they asked me, you know, what I was aspiring towards. I said, I want to be an author. So they set up this whole really cool scene at this great coffee shop that's around the corner from DePaul University. And it was a great, it was my first really professional photo shoot. And I used these photos for years because they were just so beautiful and and so well done. And this is a really beautiful photo. And I, I was a, like, I think a baby 21 or 22 year old at the time. But but I, I these photos were a huge inspiration for me for so many years that yes, this is what I can aspire towards. This is what I can be. One day this will be my author headshot until the day I was able to get my official author headshots and, and start a whole new journey. So thank you so much for choosing this photo. It's gorgeous and I love it. And, and I'm just happy to share it. Yay, this picture is so beautiful. And I love the typewriter and sort of that. It's just like this authentic writer feel. So yeah. I'm glad you chose that picture. Thank you so much for sharing that, Avery. And thank you for participating in the OU Blatches segment with us. This was fun. This was so much fun. Thank yes, you. You're so welcome. We're going to get back into some of these questions because we have got to know, Avery, how do you research your books? And can you walk us through your process of creating the story and the characters? Yes, of course. And so talking about this, the mayor of Maxwell Street in particular, what we uncover in research is often so much more outstanding than anything we could ever capture in fiction especially when it comes to the 1920s. The 20s were boozy and flashy and provocative, but they were also pivotal. And through writers such as Isabel Wilkerson of The Warmth of Other Suns and Cast, I learned just how transitional and pivotal this time was for Black Americans all across the country. Her accounting of the Great Migration took this period out of, you know, the not-so-distant past and made it profoundly and intimately present. 
And in truth, her narratives in The Warmth of Other Suns were huge inspirations for me. And so much of her research became foundational for what I was trying to capture in, in the Merrick Maxwell Street. And then another great source was Our Kind of People by the late Lawrence Otis Graham. For those who are familiar, it's a comprehensive history of the Black elite in this country. It, it does an overview of its culture, its customs, its traditions, key cities, key locations. And this book in particular was so impactful for me because even though I'm I'm a Black woman, a Black American, I was raised in you know a pr pretty prominent Black community, I had no idea about the true depths of, of our history from, from this facet and from this angle, how far back the, the wealthy Black elite go and all of the institutions that were built around this community and this, and this society. And it was just so uplifting to read about and to, to, because popular media loves to present us through the lens of struggle and oppression. And it's so inspiring to see how our existence is so much more than that, that we're multifaceted that we existed in places of wealth and prosperity and glamour. And our kind of people is just a great accounting of that. And I really recommend it for, for anyone who wants to learn more about, you know, about our history, about Black history. And yeah, the novel is filled with cameos of a lot of notable individuals who lived during these times, like the really notorious Gino brothers, which were an Italian crime family, the performer Estelle Clough, who was one of the first Black opera singers, and then The gangster Dan Jackson, who was one of the most prominent Black gangsters in Chicago at the time. And even though all these people aren't, you know, the main characters of the novel, really incorporating their lives and legacies into the story made the world just feel a lot more vibrant and, and lived in. And my huge hope is that people will pick up the book and read it and see these names and think, oh, I, I, I want to know more about this person. And then look them up and educate themselves and learn more about, about their story and their history. Let's see, and a couple of other sources I can shout out. There's a book on the Maxwell Street Market, which is the kind of behind the title of the entire book by Ira Burkow called Maxwell Street Survivor in the Bazaar. If you're wanting to learn more about the 20s, there's a great kind of comprehensive history of the 20s called Anything Goes by Lucy Moore. And then another source that I found really randomly but became hugely impactful for me was called The Negro in Chicago. And I apologize for the use of that term that that is the title as it was written in 1919. But that was a, I think about 900 page report that was commissioned by the city of Chicago in the aftermath of the 1919 race riots where the city the city administrators were truly at a loss for how something so violent and so catastrophic could happen. So they commissioned the you know, Chicago Committee on Race Relations to really get to the bottom of what was the Black experience in Chicago at the time. How did this come to happen? And it's a incredibly detailed and surprisingly unbiased report talking about redlining, talking about living situations, You know, what do Black Americans in Chicago do for work? How do they find that work? Where do they live? Why do they live there? There's even an entire section where someone interviewed the owners of banks and was trying to get to the bottom of, well, why aren't Black Chicagoans getting these kinds of loans? And getting these just really stark and disturbing commentary on how, you know, bank owners believe that Black Americans can repay loans, that if you pay them a loan, that they won't be able to to pay it back, even though Black Americans or Black Chicagoans were some of the most responsible of lenders that these banks were lending to. And it's it's a really fascinating document. It can be a little unsettling sometimes, but but the truth of it and the fact that it's so incredibly detailed, it paints a vibrant picture of what Black life was like in Chicago at the time. And 
if if I could read the whole thing over again, I would because it's just that interesting and and just that educational. And also, and lastly, some of the most poignant research for this project came from you know newspapers, publications, and the music of the time. Those sources they tapped directly into the minds of the individuals living through that era. What kind of songs were the top songs of the time? What news stories were the most popular or the most controversial? And that insight really did help make these fictional characters, you know, all the more real. Wow. Sorry, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no. I. It makes me appreciate the work even more, right? When... As I'm listening to you share with us all of the research that went into crafting each character in every setting within the book, it's, it's amazing. Well, thank, thank you for doing all of that work to no, create this amazing novel. And when you think about all of the research, the time, the energy that you spent preparing to even write this novel. And it's, you know, considered a historical novel. But when we write about people, romance naturally, or oftentimes, comes into play. And so would you consider the mayor of Maxwell Street a romance novel? Mm, that is a controversial question. Actually, there are a lot of opinions on that currently from, from early readers. And, and for me, I do consider this to be a love story, but love story does not always mean a romance. Our main characters do love each other and they have a romantic relationship, but they love each other in the way of all, that all young people who feel seen for the first time love each other. Our main character, Nellie Sawyer, is a young Black woman blessed with unparalleled wealth and privilege. And then her counterpart, Jay Shorey, is a biracial Black man who fled the South to remake himself. And both are desperate for a chance to prove their worth. And that breeds a kind of attraction. And even though it is complicated, it is no less real. Nellie is drawn to Jay because he challenges her. He cares enough to take her seriously. Where Nellie as a character is accustomed to being ignored, which is something Jay refuses to do, even when it's in his best interest. And Jay loves Nellie because he sees in her that same brutal ambition that drives him. Nellie is a kindred spirit until Jay goes too far, as the readers will discover. So yes, it is a love story, but not all love stories have a happy ending. And I think that's something that a lot of readers, when they go into into the book they have to decide for themselves is is the love that these two characters have enough to outweigh some of the trials they put each other through that was a great overview Avery and I just thought of a question I wanted to ask you I don't know if this is in the works but if your book or let's say when your book let's put it out in the universe when your <laughs> yes, book becomes be a series or a movie, who would you want to play Nellie and Jay? Like, are there any actors where you're like, oh, they would be perfect for this? It's interesting. The actors that I would want to play this, I feel like are so much of my era. <laughs> they're they're okay. all too old now. But but if I, if I could go back in time, yeah. even just a little bit, my ideal Nellie would be Danae Bidton. And your listeners and viewers might know her from Gilded Age. But she's also a really popular Broadway star. She she 
was part of the original cast for Natasha Pierre and the Comet of 1812 on Broadway a few years ago. And when I wrote Nellie Sawyer, Danae Gunton was my vision. She was who I was envisioning for that character the entire time. And then my ideal Jay, I've thought about this a lot. I've spent a lot of time on Pinterest trying to find my ideal Jay. And when I, when I really think about it, the character I have to choose now, now, is it okay if I pause real quick to look up this person's exact name? I know we're filming. Oh, for sure. I'm Googling okay. Danae right now. You're good, girl. <laughs> I'm going to put the me... visuals together. I know who this person is, and I only just recently, if, if anybody is out there and you remember when Tia and Tamara Lowry did this adaptation Ooh. of 13 again, where... a light-skinned man? Yeah. What's what his is name? his name? I it's have him. Name. He's in my Pinterest board. Wait a second. Mark Taylor. Mark Taylor is his name. And, and he, he was my crush for the longest time, before I even knew what a crush was. He is my Jay. He is way too old to play him now, of course. But if I could just go back in time and take young Mark Taylor and put him in today, that would be my ideal casting. Yes. I love this. And so, and I love what you pointed out that as you were writing, you envisioned who Nellie would be, right? Mm -hmm. And so what, what it makes me think of is what are some of your favorite books and authors and how have they inspired you not only in in writing this particular novel but as a writer in general right uh, let's see well the two that, that that you know i i owe so much to so many amazing authors and their books it's honestly really painful to try to pick one that's more influential than than another instead i think i'll talk about the two ones that that i that stay on my mind most often that i think about most often whenever i'm trying to works through something in writing. And the first one has to be a book called American Gods by Neil Gaiman. It was a revelation for me. I remember the day I first read that book. And for those who aren't familiar, the American Gods is a, well, how to explain without spoiling. Essentially, the whole premise is that when people immigrated or were brought to America, they brought their religions with them and they brought their gods with them. And it's a kind of a story of America where all of these kind of forgotten gods have to figure out how to live in a country and in a world that doesn't believe in them anymore. And it, it's one of the most influential books that I've ever read. When I read it over the course of a day, and it truly was over the course of a day, I couldn't put it down. Every sentence was so impressively clever and the world building was so immersive and the story was so well-crafted. I was shocked by how good of a novel this was. And, and I was maybe 19 years old at the time. And every time I sit down to write, I try to capture that same sensation that this book gave me. I, 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 my deepest hope is that readers can read not only the Maxwell Street, but future books and feel, feel inspired in the same way I was inspired. And the second book that kind of lives rent-free in my head is My Soul to Keep by Tana Nareve Du. It was a game changer for me. And my mom was already a huge fan of Tana Nareve Du. All of my aunties were huge fans of Tana Nareve Du. And it wasn't until I was about 12 that she actually let me read one of her books. And for me, it was not just the characters or the suspense or the world building that I adored in My Soul to Keep, but the fact that these were all Black characters. 
black characters going on these really incredible and dangerous and, and terrifying adventures. And at that age, I still wasn't accustomed to that kind of diversity. I, I wasn't used to seeing those types of stories portrayed in, in media, especially not books. And it was hugely motivational, especially again, when so much of popular culture seems determined to portray the black experience as one of suffering and oppression and hardship and trials and tribulations. And my soul to keep was, was magical and fantastical. And it was about people truly living in the world. And yes, they were black and their black experience informed all of that. But it was so much more than the story of, of our collective suffering. And those two books meant, meant so much to me at the time when I was reading them. And, and to this day, whenever I feel stuck or frustrated or in need of some kind of motivation to continue writing, I, I turn to those two books because they continue to, to spark something in me even now. Ivory, you are so inspiring. We cannot wait to see like just how far you go. It's just so incredible to be able to just have this conversation and kind of get a peek behind the curtain and learn about your process and your inspiration. Of course, your process, your background. Is there anything in particular that you would want to tell our listeners as we close out that you maybe haven't shared already or just give them more context or something about your book or just anything in general? Like you have the mic, the world is listening. What would you want to say? Let's see. Truly, of course, I, w- I want to say thank you. This has been a wonderful experience and a wonderful opportunity. And it's, it's crazy when, when you're a writer, you, you go through the process of writing the book and drafting and crafting and outlining. You begin to think that you're in it by yourself. That is just you and your head and your thoughts and your computer. But in truth, these stories are made to be shared and these topics are made to be discussed. And it's only in situations like these talking to, to you wonderful, wonderful women where, where you're really able to enjoy what, what stories mean and, and what books mean. It's in the discussion. It's in the connection that people have. It's in the realizations and revelations that people have. And that, and, and for those of you who have listened to this podcast and you're like, I'm really interested in this book and you go to pick up the mayor of Maxwell Street, I really encourage you to, to read it with a group or read it with a friend, someone who you can talk to about all of the different themes and plots and characters. It's a book that's really made to, to challenge people. And these are themes that are made to be discussed. And what I would love to see is that everybody who reads a copy of The Mayor of Maxwell Street can go out into the world and find someone else who, who they can share their opinions and revelations with. Because that's how stories live. That's how they become immortal, is through the, the sharing of them. Yes, I am so glad that you said that, Ingrid, because <laughs> as... As you were talking, what immediately came up for me was the idea of like your book being read in a book club, right? And, and so for our listeners who are inevitably going to read the book and they're going to bring it to their book club, what would be the top two questions that you think readers should discuss? Mm, yes. A question that, that I really love is, and that I post to a lot of people and a lot of book clubs is after reading the book and knowing that our main character, Nellie Sawyer, is a black woman, but she's also a black woman that comes from incredible privilege and, and wealth and prosperity. I would love for readers to discuss whether or not they feel that her background, her privileged upbringing had influenced her decisions in any way, whether positive or negative. I, I, I would love to, to hear, see people really 
converse around whether or not she she made the right choices or how much of her own biases influence her decisions. Another question is kind of the question that that you asked me. Do you feel like this is a romance or a, or a love story? That's another controversial topic. And I love to see, see people discuss whether or not they feel that the relationship between Nellie and Jay is something to romanticize or something to to ward against. And I think that discussion would be really, really fun. Those are great questions. So now you have heard it from the author herself. Okay, so add those questions to your book club when you check out this book. Avery, we celebrate you. We are so excited for you, so proud of you. We can't wait to see you in your emerald green dress and to see all (laughs) the success that comes from your book. So feel free to just remind listeners where they can purchase your book. We'll make sure to add links in the show notes, but feel free to share how they can connect with you on social media and any other call to actions that you might have. Yeah, of course. In terms, in terms of, you know, purchasing the book, anywhere and everywhere books are sold. If you have a small indie bookstore that you love and they don't have the book in stock, ask them to order it. But otherwise, anywhere books are sold, that's where you could find your copy of the Mayor Maxwell Street in hardcover or paperback or audiobook. And in terms of connecting with me, my Instagram and my TikTok is Avery Writes Big Books. I also have a Twitter account for what it's worth now. But I'm at AA underscore Cunningham. I'm also on Facebook at um, Avery Cunningham Author, but I, I'm really active on Instagram. I love to connect with readers on Instagram and TikTok. So please be sure to, to pop over there, follow me, see all the, the different content and posts about the book, and we can talk. We just, we can talk about it. Yay. Thank you so much, Avery. Well, of yes. course, of course. And, and thank all, thank you. This has been such a fun experience. Totally worth staying up late for. This has been great. Yes. We appreciate you. Hey lady, it's Dr. Dom here from the Cultivating Her Space podcast. Are you currently a resident of the state of California and contemplating starting your therapy journey? Well, if so, please reach out to me at drdominiquebroussard.com. That's D-R-D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E-B-R-O-U-S-S-A-R-D dot com to schedule a free 15-minute consultation. I look forward to hearing from you. Thanks for joining us today. Please note that our show may contain conversations about self-help, advice, self-empowerment, and mental health, but is by no means meant to be a substitute for an ongoing formal relationship with a trained mental health provider. If you or someone you know is in need of mental health care, please visit the Therapy for Black Girls directory, Psychology Today, or contact your insurance provider. If you liked what you heard and want to keep the conversation going, visit our website at herspacepodcast.com and be sure to click the Patreon tab to get access to video content, bonuses, and our weekly after show. And before we meet again, repeat after me. My thoughts create my reality. Today, I choose thoughts that empower and uplift me.